Good morning. It's good to be here. As um, we continue um, our journey through um, the book of Revelation, before we um, just turn to the pages of Scripture, um, let me just set the context, um, not only for the churches in Revelation, but our context today. Do you know, for example, that today, more than 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. Now, just think of that for a moment. That's one out of every seven Christians in the world. In Africa, it's even worse. The persecution there is one out of every five. And even more so in Asia, where there is persecution against Christians, two out of every five People, 40% of Christians in Asia are persecuted today. This past year, we have seen 5,898 Christians that have been murdered in the world. Yes, we talk a lot about those that have lost their lives to COVID and other um, you know, fatalities and all of that in our world today, but just think of all the Christians that have been murdered. 5,110 churches have been attacked, and over 6,100 Christians today have been taken prisoner. They are detained. They are now in jail because of their faith in Jesus. Now take, for example, the country of Afghanistan. There's a nation of 38 million people. This is the one place in our world today where it is the most difficult to be a Christian. In fact, it's almost impossible. Impossible to live openly as a Christian in Afghanistan. I mean, leaving Islam is uh, thought of as something that was very shameful to do. And Christian converts, they face dire consequences if their new faith is discovered. They either have to flee the country or they will be killed. I mean, that was true before the Taliban take over this past year. But since the Taliban have taken over, it's even more dangerous for believers. The Taliban will make sure that Islamic rules and customs are implemented and kept. And Christian converts don't have an option but to obey or face dire consequences. Well, look, for example, to the nation of Nigeria in Africa. Do you know that almost half the population of Nigeria are Christian? 98 million Christians in Nigeria. That's of a population of 211 million people. But Christians in Nigeria face all kinds of violence perpetrated by Boko Haram, Fulani militants, and armed bandits. And such violence often causes loss of life physical injury, rape, and all kinds of other forms of sexual harassment, as well as the loss of, poverty, loss of property, destruction of farmland. Many Christians simply have to live as refugees in the nation of Nigeria. Well, this morning we're going to look at two letters that we find in the book of Revelation. The letters to the church of Smyrna and Philadelphia, and it will become quite obvious later on why we put these two churches together. 
See, these churches face the same issues that all the people in Afghanistan and Nigeria, the Christians in those nations face, and the 360 million Christians that are persecuted all over the world. They were facing trials of all kinds. Now, you're here this morning, and you might think to yourself, well, you know, it's tough for persecuted Christians, and we often talk about them, you know, all over the world. But here in Australia, I mean... Is it really something we got to talk about? I mean, we can worship freely. We're not being beaten up or killed for our faith. But yet the fact remains, my friends, that in life there are trials of all kinds. All sorts of things that people go through that causes them angst and pain. As Jesus himself said, in this world you will face trouble. The fact of the matter remains that whether you know, we are persecuted for our faith in some other country or we're living here in Australia and we face difficulty, I mean, we are not exempt from going through trials. Hard times. I mean, it could be economic. And you could have lost your job. A hard time making those ends meet. It could be something physical, whether it's a handicap or a disability, a fatal disease or a debilitating habit that you might struggle with. Could be something emotional that you're going through, the death of a loved one, a breakup in a relationship, loneliness, fear, other struggles. I mean, even in our prayers this morning, we, we prayed for people who are going through tough times. And that's a fact of life. In this world, we will have trouble. And perhaps this morning, as you are listening online or whether you are here in person, that's how you're feeling. I mean, the things that you go through in life, it's like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. If it's not one thing, it's another. Well, as we look at these two letters this morning, I want you to ask yourself this question. And this is the question we're going to keep returning to time and time again. And the question we're going to be asking this morning is, when I face times that are difficult, when I go through struggles... When I feel angst, am I like these believers in Smyrna and Philadelphia? Is this church, the Wishart Congregation, are we like the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia? What about me? What about you? If you recall, last time when I was here, we looked at the church of Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus prided itself that it, it held very firmly to the Word of God. I mean, they, they, they prized the Word of God, and, and they prized the fact that they were a people that were orthodox. They kept to the faith. They kept to true teaching. But there was a problem in that church, wasn't it? And the problem of that church was they had no love. There wasn't a passion in their heart for God. Like some of the songs that we sang this morning, that wasn't coming from their lips. They didn't have a desire to be in the presence of God. And their love for other people was not there. And perhaps over the last month since I've been here, you've been thinking about that yourself for this church, but also for your life. Am I like that church in Ephesus? I mean, I, I might hold on to the Orthodox faith, and I, yeah, I, I hold on to sound teaching and, and the Bible, but do I have love in my heart? A love for God and a love for others. So today we're going to look at two other churches. The churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia. 
What encouragement can you and I receive when we go through difficult or hard times? So let us listen to what Jesus has to say to these churches. If you have your Bibles or you have your Bible app, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to be picking up reading in Revelation 2 um, at verse 8. Revelation 2, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you're rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but they are the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And then we pick up again in the next chapter. Verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. When he opens, what, what he opens no one can shut, and what he shuts no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews but are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you in the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole earth to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for every person in this place, anyone who's listening online. You know us, you hear us, and we ask for your help. Show yourself in the word that is being preached this morning. And when everything is said and done, that you, Jesus, the Lord of our life, and head over all things to this church, that you will be pleased, that you will be glorified, and that these, your people, every single one of them, by your Holy Spirit, will be helped today. That is our prayer, and we say amen. In Jesus' name, amen. We begin in Smyrna. Smyrna was the only city of all the cities that are addressed in the book of Revelation that still exists today. Today it, is the name, it has the name of Izmir. It's the second largest city in modern-day Turkey. 
I mean, this was a city that was known for its beauty and pride. I mean, the people called that city the first of Asia. In other words, the best city to live. Architecture in that city was the envy of the ancient world with all its temples, a fortified area on Mount Pagos, and a beautiful roadway that was called the Highway of God. A large mall, which you even see on this picture, still remains. It joins some of the major buildings in that great city. It was a wealthy city, located on the coast with its own natural harbor. Um, much commerce and trade was done in that city. Now, that city was also the center of the imperial cult. It was the worship of the emperor. It beat out ten other cities for the privilege of building a temple to the emperor Tertullius, or Tiberius. Now, Tiberius was a successor to Caesar Augustus, and he was the emperor during the time when Jesus did his ministry. Now, the church in Smyrna, it faced all kinds of trials. Jesus tells them, I know your afflictions, and I know your poverty. When you think of that, here's a city, a church in, the, in one of the wealthiest cities of that day. And Jesus says, I, I know your poverty. And undoubtedly, those two trials were connected See, these Christians would not worship the emperor as the rest of the city did. They had only one Lord and only one that they would bow their knee to, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And that meant a lot of suffering for those Christians. They were snubbed in business. It was hard for them to find employment. They were not allowed to trade openly their goods. And as we're told in verse 10, these Christians, they suffered the, to the point of being put to, into prison for their faith persecution that they faced was real. And the forces of evil, yes, the very forces of evil were rooted in the devil himself. And that drove that persecution. I mean, it simply did not pay to be a believer in that day. As a result of this, all these Christians, they experienced poverty. That was the cost of being a Christ follower. There they were put into prison behind bars in chains for not backing down from their testimony of Jesus. It might have been said of them, as it was said of the Hebrew Christians, you sympathize with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. But that wasn't all. These Christians in Smyrna were also slandered for their faith. There was a huge Jewish population in this city that bitterly opposed these Christians. This might have been the case because uh, the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed and they blamed that on the Christians. There was this kind of anti-Jewish feeling in the Roman Empire. Christianity was not only a religious threat but also a very great political threat. And so the Jews began to slander the Christians in Smyrna. Jesus says to these believers, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say there are Jews they're not Jews. They're from the synagogue of Satan. The name Satan simply means the accuser. It was a very fitting name for those Jews who would just simply and unwittingly and unstoppably, they would continue to slander these Christians in Smyrna, accusing them of all sorts of things. Take, for example, what happened to Polycarp. Polycarp was known as the Bishop of Smyrna. He was one of the pastors in the city of Smyrna. 
Now his congregation urged Polycarp to go into hiding, which he did. But he was found, and he was arrested on the charge of being a Christian. In the middle of an angry mob, the Roman proconsul took pity on such a gentle old man, and he urged Polycarp to proclaim that Caesar is Lord. I mean, if only, if only Polycarp would make this declaration and offer a small pinch of incense to the statue of Caesar, he would escape torture and death. And to this, Polycarp responded, 86 years I have served Christ. And he didn't do me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? I mean, he remained steadfast in his faith. I mean, he refused to compromise his beliefs. And for this reason, the proconsul got mad and he threatened to burn him at the stake. And Polycarp, he answered him. He says, you know, the fire you threaten burns for a time, but it will soon be extinguished. But there is a fire you know nothing about. The fire of judgment that is to come, of eternal punishment, the fire that is reserved for the ungodly. But why do you hesitate? Do what you want. I mean, just think, this is the pastor of the church in Smyrna. And as he was being tied to the stake, a number of Jews started to gather wood for the fire. They started piling wood so the fire would get hotter and hotter. And his final words were simply a prayer. He said, O Lord Almighty, I thank you that you have thought me worthy this day and this hour to share the cup of Christ among these witnesses. The fire was kindled, but the wind kept driving the fire away. And finally, it was a soldier's sword that was thrust into his side. And Polycarp met his death. This was exactly the kind of persecution that the people of Smyrna faced. They suffered for the sake of Christ. And things were no better in the church in Philadelphia. And in Philadelphia, they lived in a very difficult situation. You need to know that the city of Philadelphia was located near an active volcano and had extremely fertile soil, and it was ideal for growing all kinds of grapes. I mean, it was an agricultural paradise, and it was a a place where people would want to go and and build their farms and their wineries. But it also faced the threat of earthquakes. And in 17 AD, a major earthquake hit the city of Philadelphia and totally flattened it, and the entire city had to be rebuilt. And then about 70, a number of years ago, in, in the year 92, Emperor Domitian, he ordered half of the grapevines to be destroyed and not replanted. So there was a famine that afflicted much of the Mediterranean world and much of Rome, and the emperor wanted Philadelphia to grow grain for his army, not grapes. But the volcanic soil was not suitable to grow grain, and that totally devastated the local economy. It was a struggling city. The local church in Philadelphia was not a large church. It was a very small church. It had limited resources. Jesus tells them, I know you have little strength. Maybe that's how you feel as a Wishart church. You think to yourself, we have just little strength. We're just a small church. And on top of it all, this church experienced exactly the same persecution as the church in Smyrna. From the Jews... The synagogue of Satan, 
They suffered for the sake of Christ. But my friends, you and I need to know this is what you and I can all expect. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Christ, expect persecution. Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, you're going to be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll all be hated by all the nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. If you stand up for what you believe, you know what God teaches in his word, your testimony of Jesus, if you stand up for that, you can expect persecution. And Jesus tells us, because of that, so many people, they just turn away from the faith. And we see that happening so much in the Western world today. Because in the Western world, we want to fit in. We don't want to be hated. We don't want to be persecuted. And so what do we do? We compromise what we believe and We just fall away from the faith. People stop going to church, stop reading their Bibles, stop praying, stop speaking about Jesus. They stop hanging out with other believers. They don't want the hassle from unbelievers. They don't want the slander from others. They don't want the persecution. That happened then and that happens today. Just simply because people of faith don't want to be hated by the people of this world. But persecution is something that you and I can expect if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. As Peter writes, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange was happening to you. Expect suffering. Expect struggle. Expect that this is normal Christianity. And when it happens, when it comes, and it will come, If you stand up for Jesus, it will come. And when it comes, listen to what Jesus says. We are not to fear it. We are not to fear suffering for Jesus. Jesus says, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer, because suffering is not going to last forever. In fact, our suffering is limited. As Jesus points out, you're going to suffer persecution for 10 days. The number 10 here in Revelation is not a literal 10 days, It's just simply saying to you and to me, you know what? Those who are persecuting you are not subject to continue to persecute you. In other words, I'm going to limit the number of persecution, the number of days that they are allowed to persecute you. In other words, it's only going to be 10 days. Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia, it's going to last for one hour. Hour of trial. Our persecution. In other words, this is limited. It's not going to go on forever. Ten days. One hour. The time of persecution will be difficult for believers. But God is in control. He will make sure that the period will not be too great. It's no wonder then that Peter writes, Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you'll be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I mean, suffering is for a while, but it'll be nothing like the glory that will be revealed when we are with Jesus. So instead of fearing persecution, as believers, we are called to be faithful. And we're called to endure patiently. 
I mean, the Philadelphia church, they remain true to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And that is a theme that you will read from the beginning to the end of Revelation. In the beginning, we read about the Apostle John. Why was John in exile on the island of Patmos? He was there because he stood firm to the word of God. And he did not back down with his testimony of Jesus. And that was true of the Philadelphia church. That was true of the Smyrna church. And we're going to find that over and over again. That is the mark of a true church. The mark of a true believer. They hold true to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. The church in Philadelphia, they also kept Jesus' command to endure patiently. In spite of all of the hard times that they were going through, these believers did not grow weary of heart. They remained steadfast in their faith. So the question that you and I need to ask of ourselves is simply this. Is my church like these two churches? Am I like this? When I go through tough times, do I rejoice knowing that God will not give me more than I can handle? Ten days, one hour, I can do that. God is in control. Do I remain faithful? Do I endure patiently whatever suffering that I'm going through? Or do I cave into the pressure, abandon the faith, grow weary and lose heart? I mean, of the seven letters that we have in the opening chapters of the book of Revelation, there's only two churches that Jesus did not have a negative word to say. Nothing critical against those churches. And that was the church of Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia. Not one bad word against them. He had lots to say negatively about the other churches, but not these two. Is that true of this church? Is that true of you? Nothing critical. Nothing damning. Nothing saying that you're missing the point. You're staying true to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. You know, there are a number of ways that you and I can apply the lessons that we learn in these letters. You know, it starts off by you and I that we ought to identify with the persecuted church. You and I, we need to realize that in the world today, if we have 360 million Christians, one out of every seven Christians in this world are facing persecution, that you and I should be thinking about this. We should be praying about this. We should be supporting them. We should be crying out to God on their behalf. I know the people that today are being persecuted, they're in prison, people losing their property, people that are you know, being killed because they believe in Jesus and stay true to his word, we need to identify with them. We also need to realize is that persecution can happen here. If we think that you and I are exempt We've got to look around in our world today. Here in Australia and much of the rest of the Western world, there is so much growing opposition against the truth of God's word and the testimony of Jesus. We saw that this past week in our own parliament where we have these long debates that go well into the morning. We can expect persecution here as well. 
And we got to be ready when it comes. And when it comes, are we going to endure patiently? Do I compromise my faith in order to avoid persecution in our secular society? We need to be asking that question of ourselves. I mean, when the persecution comes here, or where we face it in the workplace, or in the school, or the uni, or at home, even from a spouse, or child, or a parent, are we going to back down just so that everyone will be happy, or are we going to stand firm to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus? We're going to keep sharing our faith no matter what kind of opposition we receive. Another thing we need to learn and we can apply these lessons in our own lives is that we need to endure all trials in the same way that will draw you away from the world and will draw you to Christ. Whenever you and I go through trials in life, not just the persecution we face from the world, but even the trials we go through in life, that should not draw us away from Christ and to the world. It should draw us away from the world and draw us to Christ. So you and I, we are called to listen. If you have an ear, the Bible says over and over again, if you have an ear, I look around and most of you have two ears, at least I can see them. Hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you, to us. Are you listening? You stand up for Jesus and not compromise faith, you might be killed. In fact, in these letters, Jesus tells us you need to stand firm to the point of death. Think of Pastor Polycarp, pastor in Smyrna, one of those churches. He stood firm to the point of death. And that final sword, spear, was thrust in his side. But you'll only die once. Polycarp knew that. May you and I remember that. Look at verse 11. You will not be hurt by the second death. It's like the almost uh, 66,000 Christians who have been murdered this past year. You might die. But that's not the end of the story. You will live forever with God, with all those who have remained faithful the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, but all the others will face a second death, a death from which they will never rise. If you remain faithful and endure patiently the hour of trial, listen to what Jesus says. You think you're poor? You're not. You're rich. Even if someone strips you bare of every single thing you have, your home, your property, your, your bank accounts, your clothes, everything you have, even if you're stripped bare to the bone, you're rich. You think of your riches that you have in Christ. And when we remain faithful to Jesus, there's going to be an open door for the kingdom. And for us here at Wishart, you know, we might think of ourselves as a little church, just like the Church of Philadelphia. But God, Jesus comes to the Church of Philadelphia and says, you know, you might be very small and you might have little strength, but, you know, because of your faithfulness to the Word of God 
and the testimony of Jesus, there's going to be an open door for the gospel. In other words, there's going to be all kinds of people that are going to start flocking to you. Why? Because you stand firm to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And as these believers remain faithful to Christ, some of those who are enemies of the cross would one day believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews as though they are not, but they're liars. I will make them come and they will fall down at your feet and they will acknowledge that I have loved you. Can you see that day here at this church? Do you have faith to see that day in this church? We might be small. We might think we're ineffective. We might think we have little resources. But when we stay firm to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, there will be an open door for the gospel and others will come. They will bow down, not to you, but to a recognition of the God that loves us. See the love of God that's evident in this place. The Jewish converts there in verse 9, they're portrayed as captives on the battlefield. Instead of Gentiles kneeling at Jewish feet, Jews are going to bow down before Gentiles, before Christians, not to worship them, but to humbly recognize the Christian church as the new and true Israel on whom God has set his love. I long for that day in so many of our churches that that day will come. That day will only come if we remain faithful to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And so we are to be faithful to Jesus. And Jesus says, when you are faithful to Jesus, you will become a pillar in the temple and the kingdom of God. Look at verse 12. Risk your name for Christ in this world, and on that pillar in the next world will be permanently inscribed three names. First of all, the name of God will be inscribed on your pillar. Secondly, the name of the new Jerusalem will be inscribed on your pillar. And thirdly, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be inscribed on your pillar. And to them you will eternally belong. You will have a place with God in heaven. May we be pillar people. On which the name of God and his dwelling is inscribed forever, etched on stone. And finally, we're told you're going to have the crown of life. The crown of life refers to the garland or wreath that is worn by athletes in a race. We see all the Olympics happening in China right now. And the people there, you know, they get this thing around their neck. But in, in those days, they would receive a garland, not just flowers they would hold in their hand, but uh, flowers that they would, you know, wear on their head. And those flowers would be a garland. It would be a wreath. And it would say that they have finished the race. They have won. They've awarded a crown. And so too, when you and I come to the end of our life, might be when we are killed because we are standing firm to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, or when Jesus Christ comes again, or at the end of our life, you'll receive from Jesus a crown that will last forever, a crown of life. All of this for those who listen who listen to Jesus and follow him. So let me ask you, are you listening? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so we continue our journey in Revelation. The next time I'll be with you here, we're going to look at the church of Pergamon. They faced another issue. They were unlike the church of Smyrna, unlike the church of Philadelphia. But they wanted to live in an age of tolerance. 
That's the age we find ourselves living in here in Australia. And we look at that next time when I come to be with you in March. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for the privilege that we have this morning to be under the teaching of your word. And we pray, Lord God, that these things that we hear may just be things that go in one ear and out the other, but that they may go down into the center of our heart and transform us from the inside out so that we would be pillar people, people who are being a building upon which you are laying a foundation, an open door for the gospel. We pray that, Lord, for Wishart Church. We pray that, Lord, for each one of us personally, in our families, uh, in our relationships, wherever we may be, Lord, that we may stand true, Lord, to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus and not back down and in that way emulate the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia being faithful to the end, we pray in Jesus' name.